Good morning and welcome to our last edition of the Ugly Side of Christmas. Fourth Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday, Sunday of Hope, second Sunday, Sunday of, of Peace, third Sunday, Sunday of Joy, this Sunday, fourth Sunday, Sunday of Love. So my prayer is that you would be overwhelmed, overjoyed, overcome by God's holy presence and love in your life. The Ugly Side of Christmas, consumed with consuming. That leads to a rotting of the soul. When we are so into what we have, that can destroy us. And Jesus knew that because Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And Jesus is saying, just think. Think about it for a minute. All those clothes you bought this this Christmas season, they'll be out of style one day. And all those TVs you bought on Black Friday, the Black Friday specials, they're going to break one day. And the the shiny new car that you have, one day, one day, it's going to rust out unless you drive like me and it may meet another demise. Um, You know, I've gotten such a bad rap about being a bad driver. Since I've been here, I just want the record to show, except for a few stop signs and, and the one big, like a guy had a big uh, hitch on the back of his pickup and he was in way too small of a spot and he shouldn't have parked there. And besides that, and getting rear-ended at Olivet, I have, had, I have had a perfect driving record since I've been here. I just wanted the record to show that before we move on. But sometimes, and so, our cars, your car, it's going to rust no matter how, it's going to rust. Or like this week, this week, uh, Carla makes the board Christmas dinner. She does this every year. She's, this was her 30th year where she makes dinner for the church board and their spouses and the pastors. She's done this for 30 straight years and it's always a wonderful dinner. Even if I wasn't married to her, I'd want to be on the board just so I could eat her Christmas dinner. It's awesome. And so we did that and she brings like half our house to the church because we have the dinner out in the, in the foyer and so all of our decorations that are set up, she brings here and sets them on tables and whatever. And so it's just a major production. So she, and she runs to Hobby Lobby for whatever she doesn't have. And so, so it's, it's just all out there. And so on Tuesday, we're packing it all back in the car, all the junk back in the car. So we take it back home, redecorate our house. And I, I took off. And she was still here. And I didn't even get to Donna's. And I get a call, Rob, my car won't start. Ah, car won't start. So I turn around. Of course, I, I don't have jumper cables. I wouldn't even know what to do with if I did have them. And so I come back and, you know, we had worked hard all day. And I said, all right, let's, let's just leave the car here. And then, you know, and we'll get it tomorrow. Well, the next day, Wednesday, I had to be in Ann Arbor at early at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I wasn't going to be there. So she called Karen Donaldson. She came and got her. And then Gary Queen, hero Gary Queen and a friend, they, they started the car. And, and then they went and got a new battery. But they had to take off all the stuff. Why am I telling you all this? Once they took off all the stuff, there was a mouse nest in by the battery a big one not a little one big one all that to say jesus was right if rust wasn't going to get it the vermins were that's my point and jesus is saying think about it why do you put so much energy and stuff that isn't going to last why do you care so much about stuff that's going to rust or vermin's going to eat or or it's going to wear out think 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 about things eternal well what's eternal the only thing eternal is, is you and me, people. He said, think about eternity. Think about, about the things that matter. What matters is people and God Almighty. 
That's what, what matters. Jesus is just saying, think. Think a little bit about it. Consume less, worship more. And in doing that, how to do that is doing what Jesus said to do. And what did Jesus say to do? The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we consume less, worship more? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor, neighbor, neighbor as yourself. Consume less, worship more. I think the, the wise men probably are the ones to blame for our consuming. If they wouldn't have brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, maybe we'd be celebrating Christmas by singing carols and eating gingerbread, which would be just fine with me. But, but, but of course, we know they brought the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. People like to send me jokes um, all the time, emails, which I like. I like to get. And every Christmas, I can count on someone, someone, someone to send me this, this joke. And so you've probably sent it to me, and you already know it, but I'm still going to read it. And the question is, what would have happened if it would have been three wise women instead of three wise men? And the answer is, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. <laughs> Mary, here's some diapers, not myrrh. You know, what are you going to do with that? This is what the Bible says. When the Magi saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. So there you go. Did you catch? As an act of worship. First, they worshipped him. And as an act of worship, they gave. Too often, we think of, of worship as what we can get. Maybe you've said it and drive it home. Boy, I sure didn't get anything out of that sermon. It happens. One guy last week told me, that he was awake all night Saturday night. He told me this at, at the concert Sunday night. He came to the concert. He said, but pastor, I couldn't come in the morning because I would have fallen asleep in your sermon. I said, join the club. <laughs> that hasn't kept a lot of other people away. What do you get? What do you get out of the sermon? Or we talk about what are we getting out of life? I want to get everything I can out of life. Or our Christmas language, you know, what did you get for Christmas? But... But here, the wise men, it isn't what they get, it's what they, they gave. And notice they gave their gifts, they were personally given. They didn't send a messenger boy. They could have, they could have, easily enough, sent a messenger. There wasn't FedEx, there wasn't Amazon next day delivery. But they could have given a messenger boy the, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. They could have sent him off, but they didn't. These wise men, from coming from wherever it is, the Bible says they came from the east. Bible scholars have, have debated where exactly they came from. Wherever it was, it was from a distance. And they came, they traveled, they, 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 they took the risk following the star. They took the risk of talking with Herod. They, 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 they knew they had to travel a different way because of a dream that was going to be dangerous if they didn't go that way. So they were personally given. They were unexpected. Mary didn't expect them. It wasn't like she was, was hanging out by the door, where are those wise men bringing my gold? She wasn't saying that. They were personally given. They were unexpected and they were given with joy. The, 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 the wise men were told, the magi were filled with joy. It was a joy to give. It wasn't grumbling. They weren't trying to think, how can we shortchange baby Jesus? You know, oh man, what's the least we can do and still honor him? That's not what they did. They worshiped and they gave. And honestly, that's how I want to be. I want to be, as the Bible says, a cheerful giver. I want to be someone that, that is, is overjoyed by the presence of the Lord. And in, as my worship is a part of my worship, I am giving, it expresses my worship. That's what we're talking about today, consuming less, worshiping more. And throughout the Christmas story, 
There's worship in all those places. The shepherds came, they worshiped. The, why the magi came, they worshiped him. Of course, the angels, glory to God in the highest, they were worshiping. But after that, after the magi in Matthew 2, do you know when the next time anyone worshiped Jesus? Matthew 2, magi worshiped him, overjoyed, gave the gifts. But when was the next time? Someone worshiped Jesus. When was the next time someone recognized his divinity? When was the next time that someone said, oh, this is Emmanuel, this is God with us? Do you know when it was? It's all the way into Matthew 14. There's a lot of stuff that happens between Matthew 2 and Matthew 14. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gathers a couple of disciples. He tells them, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they drop everything. They follow Jesus. But guess what? They don't worship him. Not that we're told. At the end of of Matthew 4, we can read these words. Then Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds in Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and the regions across Jordan followed him. So Jesus had a lot of people, he healed a lot of people, no one worshipped him. Large crowds were gathering around Jesus, but nobody, we're, not, we're not told anybody worshipped him. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's the, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Preached the greatest sermon ever. But at the end, there was no altar call. No one sang just as I am. There was no one, nowhere is it recorded that anybody worshipped him following the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 8, he heals a lot more people. There's a dude with leprosy. There's the centurion servant that we talked about last week with just a word, just a word. Jesus healed him. Boom, the guy was, was healed. There was Peter's mother-in-law. We're told she had a fever. What did she have a fever? I don't know what her fever was, but, but Jesus healed her. In the middle of chapter 8, we can read these words. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. So boom, 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 boom. Jesus is healing all sorts of people. But nowhere, nowhere, nowhere are we, are, do we read that anyone was worshiping him. In Matthew 9, it continues. He heals a lame guy. He calls Matthew out of the tax collector's booth. He heals a blind and mute guy. No one worships him. He heals a lady who had been sick for 12 long years. Heals her. Then in Matthew 9, he goes to this guy named Jairus' house, and he raises the daughter from the dead. He raised someone from the dead, but afterwards, it doesn't say, and so they worship Jesus. He, he, he raised the girl from the dead, but they don't worship him. In chapter 13, he gives marching orders to the disciples. He tells more parables, more teaching. No one worships him. Finally, 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 get to Matthew 14. Matthew 14 begins with tragedy. Matthew 14 is when Jesus learns that, that John the Baptist has been executed. He was beheaded by the evil tyrant Herod. Not the same Herod of baby Jesus, his son. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes, the disciples' shoes. This is a huge, horrible turn of events. Really a game changer. John the Baptist, you remember old, old Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. Jesus, so it's Jesus' cousin. This isn't just anybody, Jesus' cousin. Forerunner to Jesus. John the Baptist has been drawing huge crowds. Guess what? So is Jesus. John the Baptist was talking about one, the one who was coming that was far greater than him. Guess what? Jesus was the one. So, so Jesus and the disciples could do the math. If this happened to John the Baptist, 
guess who's next? Jesus decides he needs to sort this all out. He wants to escape uh, uh, from the crowds and go, but the crowds don't let him escape. I mean, there are hordes of people around Jesus. They're all wanting something from Jesus. Now, what does Jesus do? I'll tell you what I would have done. I said, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know, my, my cousin just, just, I just learned the news, my cousin is dead. And he's dead because of the whim of an evil tyrant. I need, to, I need some alone time. I need to sort this out. I need to spend time with God. I don't, I don't need you folks. Just leave me alone. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does what Jesus does, right? This is the place where he, where he feeds 5,000. Now, we talked a few weeks ago, probably more like 20,000, 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. I mean, this is a huge crowd. Jesus has just learned that John the Baptist has been executed, but instead of escaping, he's there ministering, feeding 5,000 people. But afterwards, you don't read. And so the disciples, you know, stuffed to the gills with bread and fish, uh, sat back, let out a birch, a belch, a birch. I don't know what that is. They let out a tree, let out a belch, and said, and said, oh, this is, this is only God can feed 20,000 people. All four Gospels tell this miracle. They're the only, this is the only miracle that all four tell. I mean, it was a God can only do this type of miracle. But no one worshiped. In fact, what happened after that, Jesus, Jesus finally said, listen, I'm going to go up and pray. You guys go across the lake. And no sooner had they gotten across the lake, a storm arose. A big storm. Lightning is zigzagging across the sky. The clouds reverberate with the thunder. They're in a boat. The waves are getting bigger. They go up and they're slammed down. It doesn't take long for all the disciples to be soaking wet. These waterlogged, drenched disciples, think they've had this a long, long day. Remember, it's been a roller coaster. And, and remember that most of them are fishermen. They've seen, they've seen storms like this before. They've seen the wreckage and the bloated bodies come ashore. They knew exactly what this storm could do. And, 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 and again, it's in the middle of the night. What makes it worse, they see someone coming toward them. They think Jesus is still on shore. They see someone coming toward them. They think it's a ghost. A case can be made that this is the this is the worst time for these disciples. In their entire three years, they're emotionally spent. It's been a roller coaster. Started with the news that John the Baptist was killed. Then Jesus feeds 5,000 people way up high. Then, then they get in this boat and there's this terrible, horrible, horrible, horrible storm and they think a ghost is coming at them. They've never been more afraid than this moment. And as Jesus approaches them, he says, he does, you know what Jesus does? First thing out of his mouth Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter, you remember, Peter goes all Peter, and he says in so many words, Jesus, man, I'd rather be next to you than in this boat. That's my translation. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter hops overboard, and you remember, he gets a couple of steps in, and then he notices those wind and waves again, and he sinks just like his name implies, like a rock. And I've preached, I've preached on this, I've preached on this passage several times, and usually that's about where I end. And I usually say something like, like, you know, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter the wind and the waves, keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter the storm, keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter your, what you're going through, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the sermon. I've preached it here, I've preached it in lots of places, I've preached it plenty of times. 
But I guess I want to be for you old timers, kind of like Paul Harvey, tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is verses 32 and 33. Because that's when Jesus, after Jesus, you know, grabs Peter. Verse 32 and 33 says, And when Peter and Jesus climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, the rest of the disciples, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, all of them, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. First time since the Magi, right there. Why then? These wet and soggy disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night, having a worship service. You know, sorry, Nate, they didn't have a choir. Sorry, Jordan, there was no sound system. Sorry, Justin, there was no fancy lights. There was no pews. There was no wall-to-wall carpet. My goodness, they didn't even take an offering and hear a sermon. How can you worship without an offering and a sermon? They didn't have any of those things. There they are, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. First time since the Magi. Someone's worshiping Jesus. Isn't that a weird place? Why there? Why, why didn't they worship him after he healed the leper? Why didn't they worship him after he preached a great sermon? Why didn't they worship him after he healed that, uh, raised that girl from the dead? Why in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night? I'll tell you why. It's simple. This time, they, they were the ones with their neck on the line. This time, it was them. Wasn't a lame guy, wasn't a sick girl, wasn't a blind beggar, wasn't a demon-possessed dude. No, this time it was them. One minute they thought they were done for. This is the most fearful they've ever been in their life. It had been an emotional day, they're spent. And now they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm and they know what storms like this can do and, and they, think, they think it's a ghost coming at them. And worst of all, they think they left Jesus on shore. They're having to fight this one without Jesus. In their minds, that's what they thought. They thought it was over. So when Jesus hopped on board with Peter who just sunk after this emotionally spent day, finally they conclude, this isn't just another carpenter from Nazareth. This isn't just a, a, a holy person. This isn't just a wise, no, no, no. This is, this, is, this is Emmanuel. This couldn't happen. This is God with us. This is the Holy One. See, when you, when you recognize God as creator, you will admire him. You know, for, for some of you, you've told me, you know, you're not waiting for Christmas, you're waiting for after Christmas so you can head down to Florida. And when you get on the beach and the waves are crashing in and the sky, a beautiful sunset, and it's warm and you know you're pastor is freezing his fanny off in Michigan you know you just think man this is just beautiful poor preacher he's up there in Michigan shaking and shivering when you when you when you admire God's creation when you recognize him as creator you admire him when when you recognize God's wisdom you learn from him. Hopefully by now you've discovered that the Bible has a lot of great truths and you've, you've discovered, man, if I just get in the word, if I just get in the word, I'm probably gonna learn a thing or two that I really need to learn. When you, when you rely on God's wisdom, you learn. When you discover God's strength, 
You rely on him. You know, maybe you're anticipating a bad day or maybe your kids are having a bad day and you pray, Lord, I really need you. I need your strength. I can't handle this situation. I can't handle my boss today. I need you to help me, to give me the grace, to not, you know, blow up. I need you, I need you, I need you. And God helps. He answers that prayer. He helps you. And you rely on him. That's what you're doing. You're relying on his strength. But when he saves you, See, this, this is the most important part of this sermon. This is, what the, this is what the disciples discovered in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night. When Jesus saves you, when you're in that pit and he lifts you out, when you realize that you have been traveling down the absolute wrong road and he places you on the right road, when you're hanging on by a thread and he comes and grabs a hold of you, when he saves you, when he rescues you, when he forgives you, when his love overtakes you and empowers you and comes upon you, and and you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, and yet his grace is so there, and that comes and that happens. When that happens, that's when you can truly worship him. Before that, it's kind of a... Before Now, before your rescue, you keep God kind of at a distance, comfortably dismissed, neatly shelved. God's important, yeah, oh yeah, you know, but so are other things, career and money, making sure your kids have all the things that you didn't have. And don't get me wrong, God's high on the list, but so are a lot of other things. But then when the storm comes, when the problem, the trial, the, the fight of your life, when the diagnosis comes, where the doctor is shaking his head and telling you numbers that don't make any sense to you. But he's not saying those are good numbers. When, when, when there's a death in the family, a death of a loved one, remember, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. And death, you know, is the great equalizer. It can shake all of us to our bones. You know, it, it, it doesn't care what you're what your status is, what your job title is, what your bank account says, it just comes. Let me just take a tangent and say, that's why I love, I love talking at funerals. I always am honored to speak at funerals. Why would you like speaking at funerals? Because I get to talk to people who don't know Jesus, who don't think about such things, and, and especially when it's a, a Christian who's loved Jesus their whole life, and I can say something like, you know, Uncle Joe there in the box. Or Uncle Joe there in the urn of ashes, whatever. Uncle Joe is in heaven. And I can talk about all those things, and then I can look at them and say, would the, would the preacher say the same thing about you when you're in the box or when you're in the urn? See, it makes us think about eternity. It makes us think about, about things that are lasting, not things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And when you're in that situation, when you're the one that's hanging on by the thread, when you're the one that's in need of rescue, who are you going to turn to, your job? I don't think so. I've never heard someone at the end of their life say, man, I wish I would have spent more time in the office. No one says that. It's not about all your your career, your status. Those things go out the window. Now, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but as we enter 2020, I just, some of us are going to go through some storms. That's just the, the fact of life. Some of us are going to sail smoothly through 2020. It'll be a great year. But some of us will go through storms, some big storms, some monsoons. And when we do, who are you going to turn to? See, from my vantage point, there's only one place, only one rock on which you can stand. That's Jesus. That's it. 
And when you're like Peter, when you're sinking and you know that you're, you, you need him, when you're like Peter and you call out to him, the promise of the gospel is that Jesus will pick you up every single time. And from that moment on, he's not just a, a deity to admire or a teacher to observe or a master to obey. No, no, no. From that moment on, he is Jesus, my savior. He's the one that took me out of the pit. He's the one that grabbed me when I was hanging on by a thread. He was the one that came beside me when I was sick in the hospital. He's the one that came to me when I was so sick about my kids and I didn't know where they were. It was all because of Jesus. He's the Savior and he's the only one that that is worthy of our worship. See, here's how it works in real life. You You can come to church and you can listen to nice music and say, oh, that was a nice carol. I really kind of like to sing it. And you can even, you know, drop a few, few bucks in the offering plate and you can say, man, I really did great. I, you know, gave some of my hard-earned money and they're going to help Flint and that's Flint Central. I like that place. And you can listen to the, to the preacher preach and you can say, wow, that was, you know, that was an okay sermon. You know, I've heard better, but I've heard worse. But until you have a life-changing, heart-cleansing, God-only work in your life, in the depths of your being, until you experience the fullness of Jesus Christ, until you know that you've been rescued by the only one who can rescue you, Jesus, you can admire him, you you can learn from him, you can appreciate his goodness, but you can't really worship him. And so the question of the hour becomes, becomes this. Am I sitting in church or am I worshiping Jesus? See, for the, for the disciples, they saw all those miracles, all those miracles that I listed, Matthew 4 through 14. They saw a girl being raised from the dead. They saw lame walking, blind seeing, demons chased out. They saw Jesus feeding thousands and thousands. They heard all those great sermons. They left everything to follow Jesus. But Matthew doesn't tell us that they worshiped him until when? Until they were saved, until they were rescued. So have you been sitting in church or have you been worshiping Jesus this morning? And don't just relegate our worship to just this one hour. Don't, I don't mean to do that. I need to be careful. Your worship cannot be relegated to this one hour. What have you been doing with the other 167 hours? Has your life, your life been an act of worship, consuming less, worshiping more? Back to the Magi, they left their homes, all, all, the, all the search for the king. It wasn't a little, hey honey, I'm running down to Walmart to pick up a few things. No, it, was, it took planning, it took effort, there was time and energy, there was danger. There was all those things that they took. Why? Until they could come to the place, find the, find the infant king, worship Jesus. To truly worship Jesus. It takes more than one hour of your week. It takes your life. Listen, God doesn't want your gold, frankincense, or myrrh. He wants you. We need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. We want our world to see that and to come and worship, to come and worship. Worship Christ, the forever King. It's in his name we pray, amen.